Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Welcome and hello. Welcome to the Visual Workplace. Welcome to Visual Workplace Radio. My name is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm your host on this our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. In each of our shows, we explore, we describe, we celebrate the principles and practices, the concepts and tools, methods and strategies of workplace visuality, the people and the results of applying, implementing, deploying the technologies of the visual workplace. And we learn and come to appreciate how they help us let the workplace speak. And we get as an outcome, besides having a great time and doing it really truly, we get informational transparency, dramatic improvements in all of our KPIs, quality, productivity, on-time delivery, and we actually change those KPIs so that they are even more meaningful. We capture them on beautiful dashboards, beautiful tools of visual management. And we get an engaged and spirited contributing workforce on every level of the enterprise, not just hourly employees, not just supervisors, managers, CEOs, but everyone you too. <laughs> you too. Welcome. Welcome, you. Welcome. We are going to continue our walk through um, this wonderful book that I wrote. Wonderful because it's a wonder to me that it has um, turned out to be so useful. Work that makes sense. But first, let me make my obligatory announcements about our website and our products and how to reach us. And then we can jump into why I really came here, which is to share what I've learned over the last 35 plus years of working in this field, of really creating the field of workplace visuality, codifying it, and spinning out these methodologies against very specific outcomes for all levels of the organization, letting the workplace speak on every level of the organization, every department, every function. So you can visit us at our website, visualworkplace.com, and you will find there plenty of free articles to read. They're about one page each, and sometimes there's a series, five articles in a row, building towards a particular description or methodology or concept. You'll also, and they're free, and you'll also find our podcasts of this radio show downloadable. And you can buy my books. We have currently three books on the website. Um, There's a couple of more coming. And I don't offer two of the other books that I've written over the years because it has a very specific application. One of them is a handbook for associates. And I'm thinking about putting that out again. But it is very, very nitty-gritty and in detail. It's a real workbook. So we're, we're kind of putting that on the drawing table 
I've done seven books in all and six of them in workplace visuality. And then we have an instructor's manual for trainers. Thinking about that too. That one that one came out about 10 years ago, I believe. You can get the books that are currently available. <laughs> and you can learn about our products, our courses, the kinds of services that we deliver on-site as we help companies convert to a workplace that speaks. We call it a visual conversion. And you can also contact us if you want us to come in and do a briefing or do a site assessment. And we also work with various organizations like AME, the Shingle Prize, a lot, and any other organization that would like to co-sponsor a public workshop and bring visuality to a general audience, a, uh, a mixed audience of many different companies. So we do it either way. We're happy to spread the word, and we're happy to work with you. We work with all kinds of organizations, and uh, I also do keynotes. I got invited to Russia. <laughs> I suppose I should be very suspicious, but I'm not. I'm quite thrilled. We'll see if it happens. Sometimes it's just a a uh, flurry of letters that doesn't go anywhere, but sometimes it goes somewhere. And I just love to travel and see not just the rest of the world, but the rest of the world of factories and um, how people make things and what their work environment is like. And it's always such a privilege. So please be in touch with us if you want more information or to arrange for me or one of our affiliates to work with you at your own company, we would be happy, happy to help. You can email us through our website if you like. That email is contact at visualworkplace.com or just through radio at visualworkplace.com. Either one will eventually reach the right person. Usually it takes a couple of days to uh, be routed. We are happy to help. So we continue in this show to share the contents of work that makes sense, operator-led visuality. And um, if you recall, the last time we met, not too long ago, we had begun to talk about the building blocks of visual thinking. I had done, about a year ago, a series of shows on this, um, but... Following the structure of this chapter, which is called Chapter 2, really makes it very clean and linear. I will, however, be adding my commentary and taking a left or a right turn as the words inspire me to, where I feel they need clarification, or if I have a particular a nugget or antidote, anecdote, anecdote, anecdote to, to add. The second chapter of the book, The Building Blocks of Visual Thinking, is there to prepare us, to prepare operators, and remember the you that is in every other sentence of this book is the operator, to prepare the operator for a new way of thinking. Visuality is a system of, and I'm now commenting, Visuality is a system of thinking first, and then it is a system of doing. We don't just see a visual device and bring it back home, put it in place, and think that we are creating a workplace that speaks. It's okay to do that, especially if you say thank you to the person who created it or showed it to you. 
But what we want to do is find the way to keep the visual thinking going or the visual developments, the visual solutions and inventions going as we work as a kind of process or war on waste. And as you'll find out very soon, this system has a lever, and that lever is motion. It is one of the building blocks. We'll get to it possibly today, Um, but if not, certainly in the next show. Motion is the lever, and it is what allows the operator to dig deeply into the process of work and find in a fairly continuous way more and more improvement opportunities. There are certain components of this methodology where there is a a breakthrough outcome that is designed. Things like smart placement, just very, very important, innovative thinking about the layout of function. There's the visual wear, which is another breakthrough where you lay down the pattern of work. And all of that is part of the design. So there's mini systems, which is a way of clustering visual devices so you get a very powerful focus, improvement focus on a particular either array of things, we call it simple mini systems, or an array of function, complex mini systems. So all of that is built into the methodology. But what we're doing, and especially here in Chapter 2 is saying um, operators, hourly employees, associates, there is a way to continuously find improvement opportunities that can be solved through visuality by using the lever called motion. Even if you have finished the training, the so-called design of the change, the conversion design, A year ago, two years ago, you can still, and in fact, we very much want you to, to stay alert to the enemy, which will become smaller and smaller until it is actually microscopic all the time as part of your process of work simultaneously with the work itself. That's what this chapter is about. It is as it were, the construct, the thinking construct that begins to inhabit the workplace as a modality, as a process that is used iteratively in order to go deeper and wider and to stabilize the improvement, to make it completely sustainable. You know, really, Chapter 2 is about sustainment, and it happens at the very beginning because what we're doing is teaching people a new way of thinking, and that's the true um, root of sustainability. It is continuing interest. It is really a change of mind, a change of the habits of mind so that you can't go back. You can't forget what you've learned. You can't forget your successes. You can't forget how you arrived at breakthrough because the experience itself is delicious. But also, there are components or elements, if you will, 
stepping stones that are these building blocks. So that was all commentary to explain to you why these building blocks are there. So when we last met, just last week, we were beginning to go through the building blocks. And if you recall, I began with the, there's one simple reason that a visual workplace is needed. Recall that? People have too many questions. Some of those questions are asked, but most of them are not. People have their reasons for not asking questions, and it might be that they don't like your uncle, your cousin, or your car. Who knows? We're not talking about motivation here. We're talking about that people don't ask questions. (laughs) And when they don't ask questions, they either don't do anything because they don't have the answers they need, or they make something up. Sometimes that works in favor of us, and sometimes in favor of uh, workplace company outcomes, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's just a mistake. But when we look at all the questions that could be asked and are, or that could be asked and are not asked, they devolve into two. We call them the driving questions. The first driving question, which we went over last week, is the need-to-know question. But the actual language is really important. Listen to the pronoun. The first of the two driving questions is, what do I need to know? That is, what do I need to know that I don't know right now in order to do my work or to do it more safely or better? What do I need to know? What information do I need that I don't have? It's very, very basic. These are not elaborate questions or answers, and they're not the why question. They are the how, the what, the where, the when, the how many. They are practical questions of work. And the this same mechanism that we're teaching to operators of the drive first driving question, what do I need to know, is exactly the same for everyone else in the workplace, including you. For the CEO, it's going to be a different answer, a different question, different answer, but it's just as vital. And if it's not available, it's just as critically missed. And for you, whether you're a manager, an engineer, a trainer, an operator, you'll have your need-to-know questions. The need to know, the normal way that I teach this, and this might be a good template for you to imagine in your mind's eye, is the question in the middle of a square, like in the middle of a screen, what do I need to know? But surrounding it are four arrows and all the arrows point in. And that's to signify that this question is the pull in visuality, what do I need to know? What answers can I pull to me when and as I need it? Okay? So, let me just make a few comments about what do I need to know before I move on to the second question. And I'm going to resume reading, but at the same time, I will make commentary, and I hope that that's a good combination for you. Please send me an email if it is. Please send me an email if it isn't. I read them all. So so plain as they may sound, this plain as they may sound, these kinds of questions that drive workplace visuality 
will they drive workplace visuality? How? Because once you track down the answers to your need-to-know question, you then translate those answers into visual devices. And in doing this, you embed the answers visually directly into your work area. I'm talking to operators again now. You embed it into your value field, which you'll learn more about very, very soon. So you never ever have to ask that question again, and no one ever has to answer it. And you keep going from there through cycle after cycle of translating your questions into visual answers, and you build a robust visual work environment. Okay? You pull, once you have the device, commentary, once you have the device, you pull the answer to you. A couple of comments here. This is not methodology. This is conceptual. This is a building block of the thinking. So you know that you can take care of your own needs by simply noticing that the answer is missing. In a short while, you'll learn that missing information is also called by the term information deficits. And noticing is also called by the name of, you'll understand that you're in motion. You'll be engaged in motion and you'll understand that you're in motion because there's an answer missing. Again, we're grooming that habit of mind. Going back to the text, visuality is eye-driven is the name of this section. Please notice that the first driving question does not read, what do we need to know? It reads... What do I need to know? That I is you. If it did read, what do we need to know? Then you'd be faced yet then you'd be faced with yet another challenge before you could convert your answer into a visual device. You would be faced with a meeting. If the question read, what do we need to know? You'd have to meet with others in your area to discuss and decide which are the most important need-to-know questions, for example, what the possible answers are, and is it really necessary to bother with any of them anyway. You'd meet, discuss, present, analyze, plan, probably vote, and certainly meet again. And there'd be no guarantee that enough people would agree with you with what you need to know, let alone agree on the form of a visual device that would embed the answer. A dreary prospect at best. But the question doesn't say we. It says I. And since that I is you, you are in the driver's seat of your own visual inventiveness. Hmm? Good idea. After all, you know which questions you need answered better than anyone because they are your questions, and you know your work, and that means you also know what stands in the way of getting that work done. So there's no requirement in this methodology, work that makes sense, for you to present, discuss, analyze, plan, or vote on anything. Doing so would doubtlessly defeat the very purpose in your asking in the first place. What do I need to know? Simply ask the questions that drive you crazy and answer them, and then translate your answers into visual devices so you never have to 
ask those questions again and no one has to answer them. And to that we say hooray. Now, commentary. To some who are listening right now, that will seem either like anarchy or simply impossible because you have a four-shift operation, maybe one reason, and maybe people rotate on shifts, or maybe they never see each other, and maybe they're very opinionated. If they're from the United States, they're going to have very strong opinions, and you don't want to mess with them. (laughs) Or it may be because you know that the people who work in your company The work culture is such that people really are not agreeable to giving up their territory and allowing someone else to put their need-to-know answer in place. That is an issue, but it is a different issue, and I will time and again visit that for you and give you three, four, five, six different ways of handling it. You will have to adopt one of them, two of them, five of them. You will have to address that. What we, this is commentary, what we're doing in visuality is we are creating amazing and reliable business benefit. We are embedding performance into the living landscape of work. But we are also, because we're doing it through the vehicle of a visual language, grooming the work culture. We are getting people used to the idea that what they think and feel and create matters And we will also say, if it matters for you, then it matters equally for that other guy. In general, we begin by teaching tolerance. And I promise to share something with you today, which I'm going to in a moment, which is how we begin that discussion of tolerance. This will be in the new book. It is not in the old book. It's in the new book because I just spent four four years at a company where there are three and sometimes four rotating shifts. And even though people in general like each other, they have come to really love their own ideas. And they get grumpy when somebody either won't let them do their own idea without interference or pushback, or somebody else wants to faust their idea on them somebody from the third shift or the second shift, and you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. You don't want to. You don't want (laughs) to. I know what that feels like. I don't want to. For all that I've learned in this field, I recognize in myself some real pushback. When somebody tries to mess with my ideas, I live in the world of ideas. As Woody Allen said, his mind is his second favorite organ. Well, it's my first favorite, I think. I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. It's an unneeded differentiation. But I really love my ideas and like to explore them. So I can really identify with this. As a result, as a result, We have mechanisms, as I mentioned, that will allow people to explore without bumping into the the wall of refusal. 
And one of the things, I told you we have an online training system that is just quite marvelous based on work that makes sense, the book. And it has some very important interactive additions. And I'm going to share one of them. This comes from the third chapter or the third module, which is on the tools of implementation. What are the tools that support operator-led visuality? And one of them is the hit list. And when we get to the hit list, I'll describe it to you. But it is a place to put your ideas while you're working on them. It's a way to keep track of the ideas as they are developing and getting stuck or getting completed. Every area has a hit list. And the trainer and eventually the supervisor is very involved in keeping it up to date and keeping the supplies needed for hit list projects to come to realization. And we've run something called Visual Blitzes. In uh, Spanish, it's called the Rafaga. And they're these kind of micro Kaizen blitzes where people can work on their ideas and they keep going. But the bone of contention continues to be, well, I like my idea better than yours. <laughs> In fact, I don't like your idea at all. So I want to hit this now so that you don't get frightened or put off by the idea of eye-driven visuality. We do the same on the oper- on the supervisor level and the same on the CEO level. There is a different etiquette. There's not so much territoriality because when you get to the CEO, he owns the whole place, she owns the whole place. But there still is a dimension of a personal involvement that is very, very valuable in creating this language of operational visuality. So as I see it, we state the goal. And this is straight out of the uh, online training system. We have a goal. Develop a workplace that makes sense visually where I and others can do good work safely and feel good about that too. And then we say, for that to happen, this sequence that I'm going to name has to happen too in order for the human element to not get in the way. And this will take a little bit, maybe a little bit more than a little bit, of effort on your part, but we want you to bring the same attitude of learning that we have asked you to bring to visuality. We want to bring it to the human part of visuality, creating visual solutions. So for that to happen, I'm going to go through this sequence, and I want you to think about it. I'm saying these things out loud because they're important to me. I say this as a trainer. And they're important to you because I know you can get stuck. So things, even many things, have to improve around here. You know that I do too. Have to get solved, have to change. N says you, I can help. N says you, I have ideas, lots of ideas, and I want to share them. But we also want you to say to the other person, and so do you. I want to share them, and so do you. 
I have lots of ideas and so do you. Let's work together. Let's share ideas. And here's the pivot point. You go first. Let's see if we can combine our ideas so that the solution gets stronger. Let's work together. If we can't agree easily, let's not stop. Let's experiment, try out the thinking. Yours, then mine. You go first. And we say, yes, I know it's hard to have to deal with others when you know what you want and are sure you know exactly how to get it and the other person, or maybe several of them, don't agree. That's life. But because we have to work together, we have to find a way to tolerate different ways of thinking and vice versa. People have to find a way to tolerate you. They have to find a way to tolerate me. And so they do. And so you give each other a chance. It won't cost much, but it'll cost a little. It'll cost a little time and a little patience. And since you want to push back against it, I don't even use the word patient. I use the word tolerance. Just tolerate it. Take a deep breath. It'll be over soon. And in the process, you may learn something really great, and so might they. But you already know that. So think about this and try it out. I hope you do. What we're doing in that page and that slide and that narrative is simply to set up the language so it can be visited again. And the language is the you go first language. Because, you know, when we're training this, we're talking to 30 people. Once 55, sometimes only 18, depending on how you can configure your training sessions. And you want to introduce the language of tolerance and of letting the other go first. You want that to be the battleground. You go first. No, no, no. You go first. No, no. You go first. (laughs) Okay. Let's flip a coin. (laughs) Let's go alphabetical order first. Because you want to say to people, ideas matter. Inventions matter. Creations of the mind are important and very rewarding, very satisfying. Let's not keep all of that to ourselves. Let's share that. Let's make it possible for others. So while we're saying to the I, this is I-driven, that doesn't mean, it can't mean that one I is more important than the other because we're saying that I is you. Whoever I'm speaking to, that I is you. Your creativity matters. What you think and feel matters. What pleases you and doesn't please you matters. What you, how you want to solve a problem that you're facing every day matters. But it doesn't mean that other people's ideas don't matter. It means that that is the nature of the game. Each one of you matters. Let's work on working it out. And so there's a kind of sequencing. And where this has happened, where there's been strong feelings, is we say, 
okay, let's toss, toss a coin or one of you volunteer to go second. I know you'll all volunteer to go first. And we're going to help whoever wins the toss to get their idea in place. It's usually for three weeks because it takes, that's once it gets launched. And during that time, we want you, the others, to use the idea and to find out what works about it and what you think should improve. What you can't do, because I say so, is refuse to tolerate the idea, refuse to use the idea. You just have to get over yourself. And it's very, very important for us as leaders of this change, leaders meaning we know uh, we know the end of the story, we know how the chapters unfold, we know what's ahead, to establish that as a good and as a principle of your participation. There's this other rule. It's so clear. Participation, uh, sorry, attendance is mandatory. You got to show up for the training. You don't have any choice there. That's what we're paying for. You don't have the option of not coming to the training. And participation is voluntary because it always is. You bring your body into the room, your hands, your feet, but we know that you have a decision over your own heart, over your own mind and your own will. So we can't force that. But we can make it very interesting. And we can level the playing field. You want a methodology that faces you, that causes you to face the nature of your work culture. And if you turn that over to either your authority saying, do it because I said so, you really risk the evolution, the smoothing out of your work culture, the involvement, the growth of your work culture. I will tell you, I will confess that with some operators, I have said, Charlie, you know what? You know that I care about you. We've worked together. I think you're a totally cool guy. I got to ask you to do it this time. Because you know what? We just have to build that muscle. Part of my job is to help you build your muscles, and that's one of them. You don't have to like it, but you also can't be visibly grumpy and growly and obnoxious. I know what that looks like in me. It's not going to go down like that. Be patient, be tolerant, your turn will come. Or if it's really that important to you, I can negotiate with George and see if he'll let you go first. And then you'll have the three-week three week run. And at the end of those three weeks, you'll have to shift over and let George try out his idea. Okay. That's it in broad strokes. And I, of course I hear the holes in that. But it's one of the qualities that you must have to train and to become a leader in your organization is to be values-driven. It is important that you be modest about that until you learn what that means, until you've tested your values and they actually have to do with courage and curiosity and kindness and tolerance. The value isn't get things done. 
But the I, this first building block, will trigger a lot of commotion in you until you understand it. Hopefully, you have invested in getting your trainers trained to do this. It doesn't come naturally. One of the qualities that I've seen in our lean community or in our improvement community, it can be Six Sigma, it can be lean, it can be CI, 3P, whatever, is that people get so excited about doing the right thing that they don't do it right, that they roll over people and they get demanding. And there's always a comeuppance on that. It's just a kind of young thing. It has to do with emotional intelligence. Don't skip this step. Some people have it. Some people can lead it. Both, both there's plenty of parallel effort that's going on while you're working with operators. So many things to say about this. But I wanted to hit... All right. I don't want to get too far afield. So I will hit them in a more cogent way um, as we as we continue. So that I is you. The question doesn't say we, it says I, and since that I is you, you are in the driver's seat of your own visual inventiveness. I've gone back to reading. You know the questions you need answered better than anyone because they're your questions. You know your work, and that means you also know what stands in the way of getting that work done. So there's no requirement for you to present and discuss and analyze and Yes, you're going to plan, but you're not going to have to plan with a group of people who have veto power. Okay? We have confidence in that I, and so do you. That I is in us, all of us. The starting place for all workplace visuality for you and for us is the I. And by the way, that holds true for all ten of the ten doorways presented in Chapter 1. That's why we say the visual workplace is an eye-driven process, an eye-driven methodology, because it's so important, so very important. I want to make the point again using other words. The visual devices you create are triggered by your own need to know. Next bullet point. Your need to know drives the visual devices you create. Next bullet point, you and you alone are the person who decides what your need to know is and what the visual device is that will answer it. Next bullet point, as long as your device does no harm to or does not interfere with someone else's, someone else or their work, other people do not have to agree with you. So, commentary, we, I, want to liberate that. Libera- liberate that power. What I am liberating, which is not discussed directly in this book, but is discussed in Visual Thinking Book on the Ten Doorways, is the human will. Releasing that human will, which has been so covered up in the world of work, which started mechanistically, thanks to Taylor and other of the so-called greats at that time, where they were trying to figure out production parameters and 
The human was just a part of the machine. What we want as an outcome in the visual workplace is for you to have a sense of control over your corner of the world, even though it may last only for eight hours. That bridge is called, this is my comment, is creating a work culture of visual thinking. Okay? And there are other components of this which I'll introduce to you in this very rich opportunity. If you're concerned because you share your bench or desk with others, we will discuss some simple ways of handling that later in this book. And that, of course, is not a small challenge. It is a big one. Moving on, let's move to the second driving question, the need to share. As you read through the above discussion of the need to know, did you find yourself thinking, I, 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 that sounds pretty selfish. Where do other people fit in? What about teams? What about we? Good point, but don't worry. The we in a visual workplace enters powerfully into the picture with the second question that drives workplace visuality. What do I need to share? That is, what do I know that others need to know that I need to share in order for them to do their work or for them to do it more safely, better, faster, at less cost? What information do I need to share? Notice this second question is still formed around the I. It is still I-driven. But instead of you driving the question, this time you respond to it. The second question drives you. Where? To the next level of visuality in your area, triggered by the needs of others. Your focus, which was squarely on yourself before, is now turned outwards to others. Another way to say that is, how may I help you? At the heart of this second question is the recognition that each of us has knowledge and know-how that other people need in order to do their work better or more safely, whether those other people are co-workers or supervisor or manager, internal suppliers and customers, and eventually external suppliers and customers. They are all your, co- your colleagues. They are all work companions. We are all on the same team. We are in this rowboat together, whether we sit together in the same room or not. They are all customers of the information you know. You get it? What do I need to share? Here are some common need to share questions across the three workplaces we looked at before when we were doing need to know. Factory, hospital, and accounting office. Factory. Questions from others that trigger the need to share from you. And what that means is, comment, what that means is triggering the need to share means that you hear the pull of what do I need to share, you share it the first time, and then you turn that information that you shared into a visual device so that you never have to answer that question again and the person never needs to ask it. The 
term that we have for asking and answering questions is motion, one of the eight building blocks. It is the lever for going more and more deeply into visuality. Okay, so when you listen to these three sets of questions, you will hear that. Questions from others in a factory that trigger the need to share from you, from the planner. What are you working on now? From the planner, when will it be ready? From the supervisor, where is the order you just completed? From accounting, when will my report be ready? From the co-operator, your co-worker, where's my next changeover? What's my next changeover? When and where do you, where'd you put the fixture I need that you used yesterday? Hear all those need to know, need to share questions? His need to know, their need to know is your need to share. Quality. Where are those defective parts you told me about? Hear all those questions? And can you envision what the visual answer will be? Can you see that visuality is not a cookie-cutter, preset, prefabricated look and feel, an array of visual devices that have all been decided ahead of time? Yeah, you can do that, but you give up. This is commentary. You give up so much. When you give, when you insert a prefabricated workplace, first of all, you give up the thinking process. You give up the possibility of people actually owning those devices and making them better because they own them and they want to see them more effective. You give up the, the possibility of, the, not even the possibility, the designed outcome of creating a healthy work culture where people tolerate, where they input, where they respond in an appropriate way, where they allow and where they also are highly innovative, where people respect them and they learn to respect others because they've seen what it feels like for them, where they say, you, you go first, I'm interested, you go first, I'm curious, what do you got for me, I want to see it. So that was the factory hospital. Questions from others that trigger the need to share from you, from a fellow nurse. What patients are mine today? From a newcomer, where do you keep the blankets? From a nurse in another area, where's the emergency kit? From x-ray, when are you sending Mr. Smith? From admissions, how many beds will be freed up at the end of the week in your section? From social services, Is Mrs. Riley ready to go home? This is all missing information. It looks like it's just a day as usual, just asking questions as usual. But what the visual thinker realizes is that these are all information deficits. In a little while, I will present to you the definition of visual thinking. In fact, I think I did. Visual thinking is the ability of a person, your ability and mine, to recognize the enemy, missing information, and the motion that gets triggered by that, and then to eliminate both through solutions that are visual. When you eliminate the information deficit by putting a visual device in place, not only does the deficit disappear, but the motion that it triggered as well. 
And these questions are big holes in the net. They're big holes. The accounting office. Who buys sintered metals for the J190s? We're almost out. That's from an operator. Supervisor, accounting office. When will the report you owe me be ready? We heard that before. Pretty sure. We heard that just a moment ago. Purchasing officer. Who do I give these corrections to? Co-clerk. Co-worker. How many copies do I make of this joint report and who gets it? These are such ordinary questions, except when you realize that they have been, this is commentary, that they are asked every day, day in, day out, and some variation of it, 10 times a day, that's uh, 50 times a week for each question, times, well, here we have four questions, there we have six questions, there we have six questions. You do the math. Stuart Bellamy, who's one of our certified affiliates, wonderful, wonderful implementer, unfortunately recently retired, but he did incredible work. And one of his operators did the math one day. He said, you know, five minutes for this every day, that makes it X number of hours a week, a month, a year, and there's 200 of me. Wait a minute, that's 31,000 lost hours every year because of missing information. 31,000 lost hours. 31,900 lost hours. The multiples show you the size of the challenge and the size of the reward. So, these need to share questions are simple questions often repeated. Why should anyone have to struggle to get these answers? Hmm? Why? More about the need to share. Sometimes people don't ask us directly for the answers they need. Instead, we see them wandering around our work area with apparent, with no apparent purpose. As you'll soon learn, they are in motion, moving without working. That motion is the sure sign that information and answer is missing, is needed. When you observe that happening, politely inquire, hmm, you seem to be looking for something or someone, maybe I can help. Bingo. Now you'll get the question, and then you'll give the answer. And then, just as with the need to know, you'll turn that answer into a visual device so that neither that person nor anyone else, including you, ever has to ask that same question again, period. Why? because you will have embedded the answer into the living landscape of work where it will be available to anyone and everyone who needs it at a glance without speaking a word. This is exactly what happened to Sheila Bowersmith, a first-rate machinist and master visual thinker at Denison Hydraulics. Denison Hydraulics acquired three years after we launched a visual conversion with this wonderful grumpy workforce this is commentary, they were acquired by Parker Hannafin. They were not a high whip plant. I'm sorry, a a high lean plant. They were full of whip. But man, you could see the pattern of that whip in ways that were simply stunning. And I will save that story for the next time we meet. I really 
enjoyed sharing what we discussed today with you. These are important questions. Continuous improvement and lean have no greater meaning than in their capacity to change the work culture, to change the hearts and the minds of the people who work there so that their lives feel more under their control and they feel deeply the the respect and the ownership, the reward of thinking and contributing and inventing, creating such a workforce, these cultural changes is not an easy task, but it is so rewarding. And you know what? It's needed. You don't have a choice. People cannot continue hating each other or disliking each other or um, disrespecting each other. But getting that to change is subtle. And it is gradual with many, many moments of radical breakthrough where suddenly people get it. A person gets it. And they'll never go back to where they were before. They will never. When you feel the respect and the care in the in the workplace for the first time, it really knocks you on your behind. And you say, moi, me? People are treating me like that when they used to be so mean? It changes us on the inside. It is called forgiveness. It is felt as forgiveness instead of blame and guilt and shame. Very, very important. This, is, of course, is commentary. I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to join join me and listen in. I couldn't be happier. <laughs> I wish you a splendid journey to whatever your destination is and hope that workplace visuality will be an important part of that. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. Until the next time, let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.